Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 181 is from, well, from Kane and Rince and also from Laced Records, is Thomas Quilfelt. Hi there. Welcome back. Hello. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I saw you described uh, on the recent, uh, the most recent at the time of recording Kane and Rince podcast that we've released, which was the Final Fantasy VII one, which ended last year. And uh, one of one of the forum forumites described you as the new guy, um, which, <laughs> you know, it's sort of true, but also sort of not because you've done, you've actually made two Sound of Plays for us, Sound of Play Extras. Yeah. And you've been on a Kane and Rince before with uh, Grim Fandango that was over a year ago. Yeah, something like that. I can't really remember. I feel like I've been... Uh lingering around like the sort yes. of the moody kid in the corner uh, mm. uh for for quite some time now it's been lovely to be part of the crew even if i haven't showed up very often well now we've uh what's that word they use what do the borg do assimilate <laughs> um, yeah we've assimilated you yeah uh, as, you, yeah, you sent you me my now... little borg eyepiece and the yes the manual yes uh your cable punk trappings uh you are now a part of the tribe uh also listeners to that final fantasy 7 show will i think remember that you fairly recently added or doubled the number of dependents in your family yeah we just had a newborn three weeks ago and um it's been very noisy in our house and uh, i've I found strangely lots of time to play video games but unfortunately yeah. just at 1am in the Mm. in the morning which has helped me finish assassin's creed odyssey i've just started celeste it's great but i've got to kind of you know nestle a baby in my arm and then try yeah uh try and make yeah i've I've heard before from parents that it can actually be uh some some bonus peak gaming time when you have a a a little a little one but actually i uh the closest thing i get to do is game with a cat in my lap and even i I find that quite distracting to be honest so uh yeah I, i partially envy but also also, I don't. But anyway, it sounds like as far as obviously you've done this once before, the second one, they say, is normally easier uh, if nothing goes wrong. And it sounds like it's all going quite well for you and uh, and your wife and yeah. the little ones, right? Yeah, yeah, it's going uh, very well. Uh, fingers crossed it continues to go well. Uh, it's it's one of those things where it's not just the, the fact that you've got two, it's the fact that there's compound complications like yeah. you, one's crying and the other one's breaking mm-hmm. something and then you've got to, you, you've got to choose. And uh, It's a bit like a survival game where you, mm. you know, you've got timers on one thing and timers on another thing and you've got to constantly be making tough decisions about who to... Plate um, spinning. Yeah, who to save. I call it to... a survival horror, which is why I'm not <laughs> playing that particular game. Uh, with no disrespect to your no doubt delightful infants we have seen the we have seen the photos i think of it more like a real-time strategy yeah Mm. (laughs) Uh, all my favorite genres right uh so uh, as usual when we have a guest from the team on uh, we've asked thomas to bring some picks obviously thomas being very much into music and in fact professionally uh in the you know day job you are uh, a a music video games music guy is that yeah yeah, what's the actual job title video games music guy so i'm part-time community manager for laced records and i also do kind of a bit of what you would call a and r a normal label but of course a and r for a video game soundtrack label is Mm. sort of 
you're not just thinking about new soundtracks to sign you're also kind of constantly trying to work out what the community wants what the community wants on vinyl um so i do a bit of that on the side with them but basically just social media and blogging um but uh, i've been doing that for i think two years or more now um and uh you know, it's given me lots of opportunities to interview fantastic video game composers, also dig into soundtracks that I might have passed me by uh, based on my personal taste. So we just did some work. I mean, th- last year we were working on Doom, which is 2016, which is obviously a huge soundtrack. But then later mm. in the year we were working on RuneScape. And I'd never even thought about RuneScape. I, you know, I wasn't no. 11 years old in 2007 when RuneScape yeah. was a was a thing but learning about it's got the most it's got the guinness world record for the most music tracks in any video game huh. and it's now got over 1400 oh, tracks yeah. and, and just sort of listening to it and and the the latest orchestral stuff was was uh, was really interesting so yeah working in video game music forces you to um go outside your own tastes the same way that being part of the cane and rinse crew yeah. can sort of uh, encourage one to play games that uh, you might otherwise have uh, stayed away from mm. yeah that's interesting actually the the number of tracks thing because uh, it's come up uh, recently of course that the latest uh, the fifth uh, separate incarnation of smash brothers ultimate on the switch has uh, over a thousand pieces of of music uh, some original compositions but obviously many 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 of them are from older nintendo and Capcom and Namco and etc. Konami games uh, and some arrangements as well. So that's a pretty epic soundtrack. But also it makes me think of uh, one of our uh, contacts, uh, Jordan, who throws uh, com- uh, composers from the industry our way to come on. We had Thomas Parrish on quite recently on on Sound of Play One Seven Nine. Uh, some of them work in and under the umbrella of Tencent, the almighty Chinese company that makes uh, these massive, massive MMOs, um, and they seem to have an enormous amount of music as well. I don't know uh, if anyone's done all the counting. If that <laughs> record is up to date, I actually got bought the the gamers uh, Guinness Book of uh, gaming records for Christmas, so I'll see if that's if RuneScape still holds the holds the title for the most music. Um, <laughs> they've also got the, the the title. They've also got the record for or, or two years ago. I think they had the title for most uh, user accounts for any MMO, yeah. which is wow. you know incredibly surprising when you think about World of Warcraft. But yeah, it's just yeah. this, and they've got over a million players now. They've got two different MMOs that. Are, you know, not to go on about it too much because uh, we're not actually listening to any music. I was going to bring no, some orchestral music, but it got it got squeezed out by something else. But um, just it's just this massive game that you never really think about if you're sort of mainly thinking about mainstream console and and PC gaming. Um, and I I like to think of those games like you know lifestyle games like Football Manager off in one corner or um, yeah. simulator games off in another. Just this this cloistered community that mm. it's part of video games it's what makes video games so exciting and you go esports e- on the on a another wing of it um yeah. but the fact that you can be into one thing and spend all your time on twitch talking about dota 2 and have absolutely no concept of um this other huge passionate community over here yeah i when i was a well say when i was a kid up and probably up until my 20s or even 30s I sort of prided myself in being on top of kind of all the major 
gaming groups but it's just it, it is literally impossible now you can't possibly have a, a true handle on on every kind of game and and uh, and every nuance which is why you know some of the the games that people request a lot haven't been covered on cane and rinse because we we couldn't possibly do them justice uh you know without sounding like a bunch of people who yeah amateurs who dip their toes in the water dilettantes uh, best yeah exactly best left to those who i mean most of those scenes we you just mentioned have their own dedicated set of podcasts and video shows and whatever else so uh we're mainly we we branch out now and again but we mainly stick to games that we can actually like play through and complete and then talk about with some <laughs> sense of uh, yeah. of knowledge but when it comes to the music on sound of play we play stuff from the gamut the the entire gamut whatever is requested whatever people bring to us and you mentioned esports there and we've opened with uh, a game a, a genre which kind of hangs around uh, that bracket although it's kind of its own thing as well fighting games of course and the Tekken series has long been known right going go all the way back we've even featured some music from the original Tekken on this show more than once before for its uh, cracking soundtracks and uh, so this is a track from Tekken 7 so are you a player of Tekkens uh, to this day or is this just a piece of music that has uh, come ac- come across your path and you've got into it that way? So it's something that um, I came across recently. I was doing, because we Laced was putting out the Doom soundtrack on vinyl and CD. Yes. Um, sorry, that's not supposed to be a plug. It's just It's okay. Setup. I was, I was going <laughs> to say, we are inevitably going to touch yeah. upon plugs here and it's fine because we can do what we like. like as long as we... Uh, as long as we are yeah. open about any potential conflicts of interest. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to say that anything that you guys have put out is more or less, you know, I like it more because it's you or or vice versa. It's it's fine. Yeah, you work for them and you release soundtracks and we can mention that because we're an independent entity. So go for your life. <laughs> so yes, so we were putting out Doom, which was a huge thing and, and it was amazing to kind of work in and around that project even though the game was two years old at the time uh, and I was doing a silly listicle of kind of hellish music that uh, you associate with the devil or, or diabolical things and um, I just sort of asked some video game music fans uh, some pals uh, for some good suggestions right. and, th- and this came up uh, I haven't played a Tekken since Tekken 4 2000 in the university I, I really loved that I really loved Tekken three as well and i mm. think um so i understand tekken seven is is coming back strong and, and is a kind of i would say so yeah yeah got strong competition from dragon ball uh fighters and uh and other new newer fighting games but uh, i understand it's a good one but uh, yeah i heard this track and it's not not my personal tastes kind of metal edm uh, sort of electronica mm-hmm. thing at all but it, it just absolutely kicks out the jams it's a a really pumping track and uh, i absolutely loved it a cracking way a rousing and stirring way to open the show too yeah Uh, and definitely uh, leaning back on yeah some of those uh, sort of genre mashups that the series i think it's fair to say always has although yeah some of those uh, some of the tracks in the first game are sound uh, quite basic now but yeah we've got some real nostalgia for for Tekken 1 of course it's uh, it's Tekken 3 that made its way onto the recent Sony PlayStation Classic already available at discounted prices but sadly <laughs> even on the NTSC console uh, it is the PAL version of that game which is demonstrably inferior in that it runs 
considerably slower because uh, apparently the emulator they chose for the PlayStation Classic is simply not up to the task of running certain games in NTSC at full speed. So nice job, Sony. Well done. Uh, that's really crap of you, <laughs> frankly. Uh, yeah, what a what a disappointment. Um, but there you go. It wasn't yeah. under my, um, it wasn't under my Christmas tree. No, no. Um, it, it, they, yeah, they really could have done so much better with that. And uh, yeah, it fell short in, in so many areas. Never mind. So we've also got some picks from the community in between Thomas's selections. And uh, apart from one, I've taken them all from sh- uh, games that we're going to be covering on this year's Cane and Rinse podcast. Now, at the time of recording, that list hasn't been fully revealed. We've had to reveal a couple because we're recording them very soon we needed some correspondence but the full list hasn't been revealed but by the time you hear this it will be out there so i can tell you that one of the games we're covering this year is the original ape escape saru get you the uh the japanese sony japan studio monkey catching game and uh sergeant silent requested this a while ago sergeant silent says when we get to the modern times of the 20th century in the game, the entire score takes a twist, becoming percuss- uh, percussive industrial hits. In fact, some are almost futuristic, like this track, Spectre's Castle, found near the end of the game. Let's hear it by Suichi Tarada.
Spectre's Castle there from Ape Escape, the original 1999 game. One of the games absent from that aforementioned uh, classic PlayStation mini device because it requires a DualShock or a dual analog at least. And that little mini console didn't come with analog sticks. So that was that. Scuppered completely. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, you can look out for our Ape Escape podcast later in the year. I'm looking forward to playing that. I've only ever completed the second one, so it'd be fun to go back to the first one. They they've um, uh, they've fared well, haven't they? In the in the light of history, um, I think so. They, yeah, I think the soundtrack as well has come. I've come across it a couple of times. It always sounds like those late '90s soundtracks. Mm. Um, many are excellent. You guys did the PlayStation um, uh, sort of dedicated console podcast recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Retronauts also did a kind of best of, really fantastic best of mu- uh, music from PlayStation 1 era. And it's just a weird time where you wouldn't have thought certain types of music, uh, certain genres would fit with a video game. But it was just a time of rampant um, experimentation. And also, of mm-hmm. course, they had Red Book Audio for the first time, so they could really go wild. Um, so I think Ape Escape definitely fared really well in the, in the light of history yeah i think that was uh it was that sort of era where i started to believe that sony's internal game developers were actually going to be worth something whereas i was quite snooty as a sega nintendo and namco konami capcom guy i thought sony they don't make games <laughs> but it turns out they'd they'd got some talent there yeah uh, and, and, and if you fast forward for some reason, it reminds me of Ape Escape, but uh, Astro Bot Rescue Mission yes. is one of the, the best games of last year. And that's a Japan studio and um, has a great soundtrack as well. Sort of, there seems to be a legacy there now. Our friend Kenny Young on the Astro Bot soundtrack. And yes, uh, our friendly rivals over at the Computer Games Show gave that their game of the year. I got to play the first world round at Jay's in VR. And yeah, fine time. It was uh, probably the most compelling thing I played in terms of I wouldn't mind me one of them yeah psvr uh, kits and plus tetris effect it's the first time i felt i'm not going to get one because i've got a toddler and a newborn and there's nowhere to put it but um no it's the first time i felt like psvr is a real kind of going concern and uh and making me a bit jealous they seem to be they seem to be stepping it up a little bit yeah yeah that's cool but away from all things playstation over on to a switch exclusive from i think uh Although we sort of said, uh, well, I mean, I loosely said bring an eclectic mix, but I think you brought us three Square Enix tracks <laughs> out of your five. But they're all different composers, all different kinds of games. But this one is uh, a recent game currently on sale. Well, probably won't be by the time you hear this, listeners, but it has been reduced by uh, 40% on the eShop, taking it down from a, a slightly eye-watering um, sort of 50 pounds or local equivalent down to a slightly more tempting 30 quid this is octopath traveler so it's on my wish list i haven't played it yet probably partly because of that uh, that price and also the fact that as you will know we are currently playing all the final fantasies in a row which doesn't leave a lot of time left for other jrpgs however octopath traveler i've played a, a bit of the demo it's very cute sort of interesting artistic mashup between 16-bit graphics and modern graphics. So have you actually managed to play this or is, again, this is just the uh, the music that's come your way? Nope, I'm a tourist in all of these soundtracks. Uh, I have not played the game. I don't even have a Switch, although I'm heavily contemplating it. Um, mm. 
it's it's one of those ones where I played Bravely Default, which I believe is the same team. So and that mm. was fifty percent brilliant and a and a real kind of you know clearly square trying to work out how to experiment around the edges of Final Fantasy and that was at a time presumably these were greenlit before you know Final Fantasy 15 was was finished and so they right. were trying to wonder how they could get out you know some JRPGs and also experiment with what directions to go in uh, with them and obviously Octopath Traveler and um, Bravely Default uh, a handheld or at least Octopath Traveler can be played um, mm-hmm. handheld and I think that meant that they could take uh, risks or, or hire more quote unquote junior composers so to try people out who weren't Noboru Matsu or Yoko Shimomura um, and uh, when people I started hearing rumblings that Octopath had a, a really special soundtrack I finally got round to listening to it. I was uh, I was blown away. It it's been dismissed. Funnily enough, I was listening to the the Giant Bomb uh, end of year roundup, and uh, they were talking about best music, and they just dismissed it out of hand. They were just like, "Oh, really? you know, sounded nice, kind of forgettable." And I was like, "What? Mm. Impossible!" <laughs> it's but then I guess it's because I've been spending the last year. Um, I haven't been able to play many huge JRPGs, uh, but I've been really digging into the soundtracks, kind of starting from my favourite bass, which is uh, Uematsu's classic uh, classic scores, and then building out from there and kind of listening to stuff like Secret of Mana, um, Xenogears, um, uh, Chrono Cross, that kind of thing. Stuff yeah. that, that felt connected to Final Fantasy. And um, when I was digging into Octopath Traveler, it struck me that, um they uh the just the melody writing is just absolutely phenomenal it's it's right up there maybe not quite up there with uematsu but it got me thinking about who might you know i hate to say this at a time where he's he's um off work off work sick and we're not really sure Mm. with what so i don't mean to sound like um i'm writing him off but who might succeed him and and also mm-hmm. watching a video earlier about um the dragon quest 11 music and and how poor some people thought that was and who might mm. um succeed sugiyama um on that series as well and uh, yasunori nishika who did octopath traveler has got to be way up there in contention now because he absolutely blows it out of the water the, the melody writing um on octopath traveler is just out of this world um, there's a fantastic YouTube uh, music analysis channel called Game Score Fanfare, uh, and they've done a, a, they done uh, it. He did a, Matthew there did a video about what makes uh, Octopath Traveler's score kind of um, faithful in spirit to the old Final Fantasy track. Stuff like leaving the first mm. couple of bars with less activity so that the battle can load, for instance, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then obviously highlighting uh, and also keeping writing the melodies in a certain way and having the tunes structured in a certain way when they loop, but obviously recorded in kind of 2018, um, high fidelity, fully orchestrated um, and just uh, sumptuous sounding. So, yeah, and there's a that we'll talk about in a minute. There's another score from recent years from Square Enix, a kind of a side jrpg series which also got a fantastic score by another to me newcomer to um to these jrpgs who's also knocked it out of the park but we'll get to that in a bit yeah 
Yeah, so uh, Yashinori Nishiki also responsible for Gravity Rush 2, or at least mm. some of the soundtrack, not sure. But uh, that is a game we're covering in the uh, coming, in fact, very soon on Kane and Rinse. But we're not covering Octopath Traveler just yet, so you'll just have to enjoy The Trees Have Eyes.
from the 2018 JRPG on your Switch, Octopath Traveler. So called because you get to be eight different characters, um, which was ambitious. <laughs> uh, apparently, the 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 sort of relationship between the stories, um, I think, doesn't stitch together. Perhaps it yeah. was. Yeah, I think I think the way it was suggested was that it would be a bit more kind of uh, integrated than it actually is. But obviously, that would have been that would have been a lot of work. Um, so, so what do you think, Leon, about these kind of um, smaller budget JRPGs like mm. um, I Am Set Sooner, Bravely Default? Or, you know, where they they seem right. to be sort of experimenting um, away from their big major series. Yeah, it makes makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, I think, I mean, I've yet to play the more recent Final Fantasies. I'll be doing so for the show. But certainly with 13, I remember thinking that it felt like, or that based on the response to it, that it was all production values and no soul. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, that that's that's very harsh and sweeping because I've not played it yet. Uh, I've just bought it, in fact, for the, for the 360. Uh, going to play it on the Xbox One because it's the enhanced version. So I'm going to at least get the most out of those graphics that I possibly can. Um, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like all the genres that we're seeing... Um, even if they have survived in some form, we're seeing smaller, whether you call them triple uh, B, I think one of the developers who spoke to uh, Chris uh, Chris O'Regan on the Sausage Factory recently was calling it triple B games, which is the kind of uh, very slick, high production value indie games mm. um, or, or yeah, whatever the, the, the terminology should be. The idea that Obviously, we are now left with a very few studios and even studios within studios who can possibly commit to making games of the the scope and breadth of Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Red Dead Redemption 2. These games that take years to make, well, especially Red Dead and, you know, with almost unlimited money. You've got to still have they can't be the only kinds of of games there are. And in the same way as I think in a lot of ways. Uh, the film industry has never been more interesting. There's tons and tons of really brilliant films coming out all the time, but not many of them get that much publicity. Uh, they are they are made on a, a much lower budget. They're generally the funding is cobbled together from multiple sources, multiple countries, but they get to make these really creatively interesting things. And of course, there is still a market for traditional JRPGs and for traditional shmups and all these other genres that are yeah you could say are niche concerns so yeah no it's i mean it's great uh it's exactly yeah it's just it's it's again like you say like one, one of the most exciting things about the video games as a medium is that there is all this this incredible variety within it both you know in terms of the kinds of games that you can play but also the infinite amount of aesthetics and intents and and um yeah that you can have a one person game that it takes everyone it takes the world by storm like uh, stardew valley or undertale and stuff like that but then you've got teams that have thousands of people on like red dead and everything in between and it's all mm. valid and and, and i know, think the thing a, that cuts cuts across all of it um certainly the last couple of years i, I genuinely think video game music is getting better across the board um it's obviously an impossible statement to to validate but it it just feels like um there's there's a lot more that could be done with interactivity there's a lot more that could be done with instrumentation and genre mm. um a lot more risks people could take but 
generally overall when i think about something like doom like industrial ambient metal um and then octopath traveler this sort of sweeping lush thing i think um the, the quality really has soared the last couple of years uh, or that might just be because since i've been working in it i've been paying more attention and, Possibly. Uh, and, and trying to seek out more of a more, more of a diversity of stuff but uh but yeah it it, it 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 feels like as well you know you and i have talked a tiny bit about video game music being a nice positive space as well around mm. games where other areas of uh, gaming fandom and communities can be a bit negative occasionally yeah it's odd actually isn't it you don't seem to get i mean i'm sure it's out there and i'm sure i'm sure it exists but there isn't the same level of if you don't like a soundtrack people just tend to not listen to it you won't necessarily spend hours and hours seeking out the composer and seeking out the tunes on youtube and saying i hate this soundtrack <laughs> because i mean uh, and actually that that is exactly i think how it should be with other elements of the medium like just just leave them alone they're not for you it's fine mm. it's not hurting you you don't you can't play everything anyway so just leave the stuff alone that you don't you're not interested in anymore and yeah i think so people tend to come to music with a uh, because they love it yeah uh, and yeah. and they don't feel and and if they don't love a piece of music you, you know you might among your friends like the same way as when you're at school you know you take the take the mickey out of the you know what you whatever you think is the crappy you know boy band at the top of the charts or whatever and that's fine but you don't you don't feel the need to go and you know seek them out and spill your poison all over them because you know that they're not really for you yeah they're for a completely different market and yeah so well hopefully yes uh obviously i mean occasionally we'll play a piece on sound of play that somebody else has requested that i'm not into but I don't make a habit of like introducing it by saying, you know, this is awful. Although actually now I'm thinking about it, that has happened a couple of times, <laughs> mainly, <laughs> what, mainly what, from Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> it's interesting what, what unites um, video game music lovers seemingly is that there are still um, snooty uh, external elites like it, say, for instance, in the classical music world where yeah. um, that 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 creates a sense of unity and community amongst video game music lovers a, a sort of okay it's trading on the maybe the victimhood that video game fans generally have traded on since uh, for decades now of kind mm. of it being this side hobby rather than a proper art form but um but it's really interesting as well something i've been thinking about for the blog and stuff is how um video game music intersects uh, with those outside cultures like classical music, electronica, um, and and that's all improved seems to be improving as well. Like the electronica world, it is absolutely one hundred percent lauded to be into kind mm. of chip tune and eight bit and sixteen bit classics, and, mm. and br even bring that into modern electronica productions is is celebrated. You know, there's not even the tiniest whiff of kind of that's for nerds or, or um, that's no. not cool, you know. Um, and also the classical world is opening up in uh, in many ways uh, as yes. well. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time in that way. Now we have a piece from another Japanese game, another Japanese composer and another game that we are covering imminently. If not, yeah, I'm trying to think about the release. It will be coming up, I think, when you hear this podcast depending on when you listen to this podcast, if you see what I mean. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Near Automata is the game. Uh, it's a relatively recent release for us to cover, but it will be a, a best part of two years old, if not two years old by the time we cover it on the podcast. It was a game that had a lot of discussion around it and 
particularly in in terms of how it benefits from being completed uh, three times on the bounce to get the most out of the story. Uh, effectively, you learn a bit more each time you play it, but no spoilers here. Jobo Bonobo requested this one a while ago. This track is from the Near Automata Arranged and Unreleased Tracks album and is a remix of Pascal's Village, arranged by Ryu Kawamura. It uses sounds from the in-game menu alongside the singing children from the original track to create a really upbeat piece that, for me, sums up the character of Pascal so well. A song filled with optimism and hope for a better future. The world of Near Automata is oftentimes cruel, bleak and pointless, but this track reminds me there are occasional moments of lightness and beauty that the game presents, and that these moments are all the more precious for their rarity.
Pascal by Keichi Okabe, arranged by Ryu Kawamura for the Arranged and Unreleased Tracks album, which is the sort of thing that we get everywhere here, whereas once that was very much, back in the day, the domain of Japanese CD, and you would, if you were a music games music fan, you would have to import these things at enormous expense. But now we've got labels like uh, the one that uh, Thomas here works for, Lace Records, releasing soundtracks on vinyl and cd it's uh it's just i mean it, yeah it's kind of weird this uh i'm, I'm not a vinyl guy not because i've got anything against it and i understand why people like it very much uh i just don't have a vinyl record player but uh it's kind of a weird it feels weird that we're in the future in the space the space time of 2018 and video game soundtracks are being released on this one of the most retro formats really in some ways <laughs> yeah well we just put out runescape original soundtrack classics which is general midi and it's not just yeah. general midi tracks it's general midi tracks designed to play in browser through your yeah. school library library computer or your grand's yeah, right. computer from like 2002 um putting you know, I was talking to the mastering engineer and he was sort of, he's a big, funnily enough, he's a, a expert audio engineer, but he's also a massive PC gamer. Um, and he was talking about early sound cards and, and we were sort of talking about the daftness of taking um, MIDI generated music and putting it onto vinyl and how weird and backwards that sounds. But, you know, the fans really, really wanted it. They really love it. Uh, it sounds yeah. great. And um, this is the world we live in where uh, uh, these things can intersect in a very odd, odd way. How did you get how many tracks are on the the RuneScape vinyl and how did you pare them down from the thousand four hundred or whatever that you started with? Uh, nothing to do with me, uh, not even anything to do with our label, because the company behind RuneScape, Jagex, um, they've obviously been running the game for decades and they've got um they've got a couple of they've got a, a music department essentially um and their fans have been begging them for years because they've got these thousands of tracks they've been begging them for years to put them on spotify get them out um and so uh the they'd all started that team had started thinking about how they were going to do it what they were going to start with because there was so much potential um and then they came to lace records and uh and yeah we put out sort of they did a, they actually did a poll of players because in old school runescape which is the one that's based on the it's like vanilla runescape based on the 2007 um servers they can't make any changes to the game without polling the community so everything gets voted on so they did a big poll yeah. to find out what what music people wanted um and then they sort of worked from there and and um made made some various playlists i think the vinyl's got 24 tracks on it and uh the cd's got mm. more and the digital release has got more than that um uh, but it's got classics i understand that sea shanty 2 which is this weird chirpy little ditty is uh i should have brought it on here really mm. actually um is this sort of meme memeable fan favorite kind of ironic fan favorite that had to be on there so uh um, so they spent a lot of time thinking about it, but at the end of the day, I think there was probably some really obvious fan favourites that they've heard a billion times yeah. looping round after mining gold for hundreds of hours. So next up, your third pick for us is from another JRPG from Square Enix. Uh, it's a slightly deep cut in the sense that Brave Exvius, this Final Fantasy 
Is it a Gaiden? I don't really know. I remember the name, but I don't know too much about it other than it's a, a mobile or smartphone thing from a few years ago. Yeah, I might be getting this wrong. I believe it's a free to play or something like that yeah, mobile game that received. I've heard a bit of criticism about it and uh-huh. um, that it has some of those design choices that people don't mm. love um, about cynical well, types. I'm not going to criticize it too um, harshly myself because I haven't played it, but it has the most amazing score. Right. I think that I've heard in a Final Fantasy game for for 10 years or so. It's it's unbelievable. It's <laughs> possibly even better than Octopath Traveler. Um it's from this chap Noriyasu Agamatsu who mm. was also trying to do what um uh, Nishiki was trying to do Nishiki was trying to do with the Octopath Traveler score which is of course evoke kind of Final Fantasies three to six um the classic uematsu music that they would have grown up with um and yeah. he's got but for some reason for a mobile game he's got full orchestral recordings and mm. um his stuff is is even more i guess you could say his stuff is a is a bit more kind of um virtuosic uh than the octopath traveler there's a, there's more kind of embellishment and stuff but it is just fantastic and um I really wanted to highlight it. And as I say, I've been thinking about JRPG music for the last year really intensely. And um, people have been banging on about this soundtrack. And I finally got round to it. And I was just totally, uh, totally floored by it, really.
So that was Force and Furious brackets Dwarven Forge by Noriyasu Agamatsu from Final Fantasy Brave Exvius, which was apparently downloaded over 35 million times worldwide. I don't know if people are still playing it. It did come out everywhere, I believe. It was Japanese original, of course, in October 2015, arrived in the rest of the world June 2016, so two and a half years ago. But yes, um, I don't know. Maybe Leah, who's our sort of resident Final Fantasy fan, maybe she gave that a crack. I'm not sure. Now, this is the one we have got. It's another Japanese tune from a Japanese game. This is the one that we're not covering in this volume of Kane and Rince, I should say, our sister podcast. There has been a certain amount of discussion over the years about covering Ridge Racer somehow, but we haven't done it yet. Maybe someday. We've done a bit of Outrun. We need to come back to that. We've done a bit of Burnout. We've done a bit of Project Gotham, but we've still yet to tackle the Ridge Racer series. But again, this is sort of topical in the sense that this is the the Ridge Racer game that made its way onto the recent PlayStation Classic, Ridge Racer Type 4. And Fieldy requested this from a very popular soundtrack. Fieldy says, this track is Ridge Racer for me. I have very fond memories of playing the Type 4 demo over and over on my brother's PS1 as a teenager and listening to this track. Later, when I managed to get my hands on a PSP, I would play Ridge Racer religiously to this track, Sublime. And this is Move Me.
by Kota Takahashi, our second Namco track from uh, the very musical stable that is Namco, now Bandai Namco. Uh, I got to admit, when Ridge Racer Type 4 first came out, I missed the absolutely nutso, insane, head-scrambling Japanese techno of the earlier games in the series. They'd gone for this... Uh, much smoother cool, sort of jazz yeah. funk infused which a lot of people love and and i get that but it sounded a bit bland to me when i when i was first playing type 4 so it's taken me a while to make my peace with the fact that not all ridge racer music has to sound like completely nutty <laughs> mad japanese techno scientists screaming and going for have many you know 200 70 beats a minute or something like some of those early Ridge Racer tracks, which is not, it's one of those things where those early Ridge Racer soundtracks, not the sort of music I would necessarily listen to uh, as a, you know, just for pleasure and leisure, but within the context of the nutty sideways drifting Japanese arcade racing game, it seemed to, it seemed to work for me. I absolutely loved it at the time. I'd, yeah. I mainline Rage Racer, which was the mm. I think essentially Ridge Racer three. Yeah. And then kind of. um I was yeah. really I think Ridge Racer Type Four might have been the day one for me. I can't really remember that well, but um mm. just the um aesthetic cohesiveness, everything just ties together with that game, knits yeah. together in my mind as this just fantastic racing game. A bit like um Wipeout Three or Whip Three E out. Yes. Um <laughs> They, it feels like over the, the lifetime of the PS1, those teams had kind of just worked out how to really refine the design, both of the, you know, the game, the art, the music, the sound, everything kind of coming together. Um, it, if, if they were going to ever remaster a, a driving game from that era, I think uh, Ridge Racer Type 4 could, could really shine, I think. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to completely redo the engine and everything in... Um, redraw absolutely everything but I think the fundamentals there were so so solid and the single player mode as well the kind of career mode I, I remember being really compelling um, and feeling like you were on a kind of super cool Japanese urban driving adventure mm. yeah I totally mastered the earlier games in the series but I actually dropped off 5, 6 and 7 but when the PSP game came out which was uh, known as Ridge Racers in Japan and just simply Ridge Racer over here. It was a kind of HD remaster best of collection, but mm. handheld. And it includes music from the entire series. It's, and uh, yeah. yeah, I still play it on my Vita. It still looks and sounds great. Yeah, I grabbed it on the Vita recently because I was I was yeah. absolutely desperate to get some um, power sliding in. Yes. You know, you just... Well, you that just, is all you need. <laughs> you just sometimes it's... Well, you know, it might be Outrun or something. Sometimes you just want to shove, hurl your car around a corner and and balance the uh the turning of the car as it slides all the way around mm. and i was looking up if they were because i remember bouncing off ridge racer 5 and kind of falling off it from there i played a little bit of ridge racer 7 on ps3 but everybody said the psp one was was pretty good i played it for a bit i, do, I don't actually like playing a racer on the handheld though for some reason there's something about the motion oh. of it or not feeling i just want the screen fixed uh, so oh, that no, I can, that's a shame. So that There's some great wipeout games on the on the Vita <laughs> as well uh, yeah. and PSP. But um, 
Yeah, no, that, and it and it yeah, it's slightly frustrating because they did a second, they did a follow up to Ridge Racer on the PSP, which was called Ridge Racer Two, even though it wasn't Ridge Racer Two. It was very, it was one of those situations where it was essentially everything from the previous game, but more stuff. So it wasn't like a whole sequel, even though they called it a numbered sequel. But that version never got released on the PSN store, so you can't download it. So you can only download the less feature complete one, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine and one of the, the hells of, of digital marketplaces. Yeah, places. one of the casualties but, of, uh, of digital. Yeah, very much so. But um, But yeah, by all accounts, the PSP games were superior to the later Vita Ridge Racer, which I never even played because the reception was so moderate. Um, so yeah, it's still worth checking out. You can often pick it up for like three or four quid in a sale. If you still got a Vita, Ridge Racer is recommended if you like playing races on a handheld, of course. You think uh, that that series, I don't know what's happening with it, but mm. the Switch uh, feels like a, it would be a good platform for a, a kind of a remaster, a reboot or something. We've seen a lot of sort of homage uh, talking about games by smaller teams that bring old genres back to life. We've seen a number of sort of retro styled races in recent times, whether that could be one of those. But I think, I don't know, I I suppose if Namco, Bandai Namco were going to bring back Ridge, they would, I don't know whether they would want to make it a, you know, a a real marquee title, but I I guess they just don't think there's a market anymore. The last Mm. one they did was Ridge Racer Unbounded, which was not a Ridge Racer game. They just, I mean, it was by, I think it was by the Australian team responsible for the flat out games, which were perfectly fun in their own right. Had some, uh, although I think that series tailed off as well, but Mm. it just didn't feel in any way like a, like a Ridge Racer game, despite carrying the name uh so yeah i'm not sure maybe they felt they could go as far as they could but i would yeah i would love to see a new ridge racer in actually i would prefer to see it in 4k ultra high definition with hdr and all that so not on the switch but actually on uh on ps4 pro and xbox one would be my my choice yeah but i Um, mean the 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 driving market has just only been going one way hasn't it there's only a few teams the gran turismo team obviously playground games who can do those gorgeous looking kind of or or they've got to go the project cars route um sim route but arcade racers just seem to a bit like traditional rpgs single player rpgs there's this sag in the middle of the market where they can't quite no one can quite get away a hit. You're right. But that said, Fast Racing Neo and, and Fast Racing RMX on the, the Wii U and the Switch, actually there was a there was a predecessor on the Wii. They that tiny team has managed to make those games. Obviously they exist in the sort of wipeout F Zero sort of future racing arena. But those games look tremendous. Mm. So it is possible. I I guess being sci fi enables you to sort of do some things that wouldn't necessarily work but the the whole thing about Ridge Racer was none of the cars were real they were all analogs of real cars but they had no licenses whatsoever they all had names based on old Namco coin-ops and stuff like that the Solvalu and the uh, um the ma- you know mappy cars and things like that so yeah. I would I would welcome a return to that no licenses just pure drifting fantasy and um yeah just super high super sharp graphics but without being actually realistic yeah you know what i mean yeah i think ridge racer i mean if you are hankering if you listen to this and you're like yeah i could really go i think ridge racer 7 on ps3 is your closest oh right seven yeah okay Uh, yeah but i think even yeah having played some 
previous gen races in recent times it's surprising how much they've aged <laughs> yeah. even in the in in the in the intervening years whereas as i say i think even even though it's a 13 14 year old game psp ridge racer on the vita still looks pretty nice mm. i have to say i think curious anyway a, a real change of tone now and excitingly uh, we're going to have this fella on sound of play in the not too distant future uh, but for now we're just going to have to do with one of his tracks so this is from the highly vaunted android and ios interactive experience game it's a game call it. it's a game i haven't played it yet i'm going to play it on my holiday hopefully it's a it's a budget price game called florence uh it's uh well, t- yeah, tell us about. You it. mean premium mobile priced? Uh, okay. Um, there's, uh, it's so uh, Monument Valley was obviously the mobile game du jour of the last couple of years in terms of minimalist design and and music and everything. And uh, Ken Wong, who uh, I believe was the lead designer or one of the lead designers of that game, um, I don't know whether he was he started in Australia or he's moved to Australia, but he's in Australia and he's got a new development team called Mountains. And uh, they teamed up with this new publisher called Annapurna Interactive, who are yeah. associated with the film company Annapurna. And um, yeah, they and, release a lot of really interesting stuff. Yeah, Gorogoa, Edith Finch, you know, their yeah. track record is already. They're like the um, RT Devolver Digital, you know. Much, yeah. much less attitude and much more kind of touchy feely in a in a brilliant way. So um, uh, Florence was getting rave reviews. I played through it. It takes 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Uh, it's a really it's one of those. If you don't like um, kind of touchy feel, I say, keep saying touchy feely is the some ways the best way. Some may think it's a kind of saccharine or sickly sentimental too too sweet a game about um, just a a 20-something romance that doesn't really work out and and that's it and not much else happens and not much happens in the game Um, and the the mechanics are all very much about the mobile device and accessibility. Um, There's almost no challenge but the mechanics do make you think about the relationship between the two people in the story and the music is exquisite. Uh, it's uh, it uses different instruments as well to represent the different people in the game. The main character Florence is a, is a, a, used by a piano, played by a piano, and her um, temporary boyfriend is actually a cellist in the game, um, and so the cello is his instrument. Oh, and, nice. and I fell totally in love with it. Obviously, mobile music. There's not much point creating a kind of uh, a rich dynamic score with a lot of bass in it because if anyone's listening through iPhone headphones or on the phone, they're not going to hear many bass frequencies. So the composer Kevin Penkin is sort of very smartly. He's recorded real instruments, um, but he's kind of gone for this kind of uh, uh, mid to high range um, score overall that really pops and really works with mobile. And um, yeah, it turns out he's a young Australian uh, composer. Uh, I reached out Mm -hmm. to him just because to see if he happened to be in London. And we met up for lunch on, I think there's the hottest day of the British summer last year. But because he's Australian, he was literally, he sprinted (laughs) there and then he jogged home. And I was just like dripping with sweat. Yeah, It really was a hot one. (laughs) We had a really, really lovely um, chat. Super nice guy. And he's, he's 
funnily enough, obviously Australia is um, is out east and it's kind of closer to the Japanese market than the UK. And he's been doing a lot of anime and he's become quite big in the anime world. Um, he did a yes. score for an anime called Made in Abyss, um, mm. which is a, a kind of a more ambient and industrial um, score. Really interesting. It's on Spotify and everything, but it's not a kind of a pleasant listen per se. Uh, and then I was chatting to him and it turns out he did some work with Noboru Uematsu, um, of whom he was a massive fan. Uh, he sort of did a collaboration virtually. So they didn't, they weren't really in the same room, uh, although they have been at some point, but they, they worked together remotely. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so I really hope that uh, Kevin's got more game scores. If he doesn't get completely swallowed up by uh, anime work, I really hope he's yeah. got some more game scores coming because he's a really versatile absolutely fantastic uh composer and, and well he emailed me earlier today at the time of recording and he <laughs> seemed very humble and genuinely enthusiastic to come on so hopefully we'll get to hear from him very soon yeah absolutely and if you can't wait for that uh, he's also done a few other i won't mention uh who but uh, podcast interviews with video game uh, music you can, you can that's fine uh, well there's the fantastic um music respawn show uh run by kate remington and he's done um a, a chat specifically about his his florence score there so i think if you wanted to di- dive deeper into that uh, you should search out music respawn i expect they get more downloads than we do uh, <laughs> no, not so necessarily. Hopefully they'll mention us at some point. Uh, anyway, so the one you chose, you actually changed your pick uh, late, relatively late in the day. You went from which one was it to this one? Uh, I think so. The the clever, the interesting thing about the game is because the instruments represent people in the game, the yeah. music and the music does a lot of. Um, I don't want to say dramatic heavy lifting because it sounds like a uh, criticism, but it it. Um, it helps a lot with the emotion of the story because there's no dialogue. There's no words written or spoken in the whole game. So, of course, the music has to do um, some work dramatically. Um, and it means that certain melodies, like motifs associated with certain characters, come in and out. And I was thinking about going for a track that's at the top of the soundtrack album that um, is kind of the one that would be on the trailer and the one everyone's heard. But then I thought, actually, the the very last track on the album kind of sums up the whole experience because it's the, I think it's the credit sequence and it has all of the elements that have come in um, during the story. So it would be a, a better way to kind of emotionally tune people in to the game. Mm. Wake Up Moving On by Kevin Penke. <laughs>
from the 2018 game, Android and iOS. Check it out if you haven't already. People who play it generally seem to love it. It might not be for you, but for a few pounds and half an hour of your time, it's got to be worth a try, surely. Now, uh, a piece that ends, concludes a game that we are about to cover. Again, to try and work out my timings, this podcast is either out now or imminently out. It's our Virginia podcast. This game was recently in the Steam winter sale for 69 pence or $1. <laughs> That's just an uh, insult, isn't, isn't it, to the medium? It, but... Well, yeah, but I guess if they got, if, imagine if they got, because, you know, it's a game with, I guess it's a cultish sort of game, but say, and it, but it has got its name out there and say, say there were a million people like me who hadn't bought it, but then went, well, it's 69p, I'll buy it now, uh, that suddenly they're, they're rolling in rolling in dough so hopefully it worked out for them I, I don't know who makes those decisions like are we gonna put our game in the sale five percent off 25 percent off 90 percent off you know it's uh it's an interesting thing uh and i guess the gambles sometimes pay off and sometimes they don't but um but yeah virginia a game much talked about and there was desire among the team to cover it again even though it's a relatively recent title we featured at least two of its pieces of music on this show before this one we haven't this is a, a lengthy one so you can kind of drift off to this one we'll be back in about eight minutes time this is the end credits theme by lyndon holland Thank you. 
from the 2016 game, available for most current formats, PC and Mac and PS4 and Xbox One, Virginia. Lyndon Holland's score. Perhaps that's a, he's another composer we could reach out to. Have you had any contact with Lyndon Holland, Thomas? I haven't. I uh, I know that conversations have been had somewhere by some people about some things relating to uh, uh-huh. the Virginia score, but I don't know for certain what happened about that. Mm. Um, it's one of those... Uh, I believe he's one of three develop the one of the three developers or, or one of a very it's one of those indie games where there's a very small team and the composer yep. is kind of um uh part of the team from a very early stage which means that they can create a score which really fit you know tightly fits in with the game and the gameplay yes. um like mm-hmm. r- most recently celeste or, or undertale and stardew valley are good examples of that although it's slightly different because the composer is the developer but um so yeah, he probably is one of those people, uh, one of those kind of new wave of indie composers who's uh, we could reach out to for an interview here. Um, have you played Definitely. the? Are you going to be on that show, Leon? Have you played the game yet? I'm not on that show. I'm hoping to again because it's a relatively short game. I'm hoping to find the time to play along with the show, which is, as I've said before, possibly not on Sound of Play, but one of my great pleasures of kind of setting up Kane and Rinse is that occasionally I get to just listen to it as when i'm not on a show when i'm not hosting i get to play along and listen to the podcast as everyone else does and uh, more often than not it's uh it's a good listen mm. so as, as i would hope so yeah that's my plan yeah. what about you i bounced off the game actually okay. i don't know why there's it it makes a strong first impression because of these smash cuts um which reminded right. me a little bit of 30 flights of loving Mm-hmm. but for some reason the motion in the game or the it might be something you can turn off with the motion blur i don't know but i just mm-hmm. wasn't quite tuned into it but at that yep. point i hadn't seen twin peaks and i uh-huh. now have seen mm-hmm. twin peaks and i know that right. they they share quite a lot of vibe and, and listening mm-hmm. to this track as we have just done um really reminds me of angelo badalamenti's uh, uh score for yeah. twin peaks yeah. uh, and i know you know a lot of people love that vibe that kind of you know mysterious middle of nowhere um rural uh, uh sort of northern us slash canada um vibe so uh, i think if if anybody um resonates with that kind of aesthetic and that kind of music uh, they might want to check it out twin peaks coming up hot on the heels of i would say one star wars two alien aliens and three dungeons and dragons as being the three most influential things on video games uh, <laughs> all Blade, the time. Blade Runner? Oh, Lord yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. There could, there could be others. But I'm saying that Twin Peaks in recent years mm. has been responsible for a lot of... Uh, a lot of lifting you know a lot of a lot of games that have turned up and have very blatantly been and yeah they've been homages effectively to twin peaks i've never been a tweaks twin tweaks twin peaks guy <laughs> that's what so, they call themselves they call themselves tweakers tweaks. yes that's i think that's something else um anyway <laughs> uh yeah uh, and i do feel like i ought to catch up someday with with the whole gamut because i do i do like david lynch so i tell you what a very um, good podcast uh that will help you it's you know every cult show now of course has about eight yeah. podcasts each you go through episode by episode yeah 
Um, I didn't even know a specific one before I started, but I just looked up a few because I wanted to get into Twin Peaks and uh, I knew that going in cold, um, I might fall off it a bit quicker. Um, there's a uh, podcast called Damn Fine Coffee, which is a tagline yeah. from the series, mm-hmm. uh, which I found very entertaining. And they get uh, they don't get guests on the show, unfortunately, but they do talk expertly about it and uh, and point out interesting little knickknacks. And it's definitely one of those shows where you can miss so much if you're doing a kind of cold or blind watch and you're not in the mood for it because it is a very nineties show. Oh um, yes, eighties indeed, yeah. late eighties, nineties. Yeah. Show. Um, the yes and i know that for my friends who are who are well into it were very much into the recent return so that's good to know as well mm. but, uh, if i if i do go back i can watch the series then watch the film and then watch the the modern series or, although uh, fair warning to anybody who hasn't done it and wants to do it the uh, i've just dropped off the end of the second series which is the, apparently the the weakest sort yeah. of bit because they they um the show stretches way too many episodes in season two and they have to really stretch it out and it it becomes yeah. a lot less compelling but uh classic issue with television uh and actually i think this is this is a conversation that josh and i have about tv and film sometimes is that he's more of a tv guy he loves films too and and i like some tv but i'm i would say i'm more of a film guy and while i think he's absolutely right that the arc of a you know the length of a tv series can result in you know fascinating arcs that resolve and twist and turn and extra depth and whatever but as many times as that happens i've seen tv shows that just become incredibly repetitive and slow moving because they're padding yeah. they're padding so bad but that even happens i mean that happens with video games to a ridiculous degree if you think the recent examples sure. like the phantom pain and red dead redemption 2 i heard here um people talk about you know the saggy second half the saggy final third where a lot could have been um cut out and that's a different that's a different thing yeah. isn't it because with a tv show it's because the the something's become successful and then the studio have ordered a certain amount and the writers then have to kind that's of right. just really stretch things yeah. out with the video game they make a whole bunch of stuff and then they're yeah. trying to whittle it down and they just don't quite do enough whittling yeah <laughs> An art, an art to be yeah to be mastered for sure uh, it's hard to uh, edit the things that you've made out uh, as we found with our recent Final Fantasy 7 podcast anyway <laughs> please venture over to our forum canorince.com slash forum or you can do it on Twitter follow us anyway at canorince and use the hashtag sound of play if you want to make a request for the show we also have a Facebook page you should seek out and like it request your favourites other oddities and curios from the history of the video games music medium and we will continue to include a selection in the playlist for each regular sound of play subscribe to sound of play and leave us an apple podcast or itunes review or rating or do the same thing wherever you get your podcast from it's complicated these days people just say where you get your podcast from you will know what to do. Listen to our other podcasts as well. We've mentioned Kane and Rince a bunch of times. Of course, that comes out on a Monday. And we also have The Sausage Factory on a Friday now, where Chris O'Regan talks to developers, as I mentioned. Follow us on social media as well as Twitter and Facebook. We also have an Instagram. And if you appreciate the time and effort that goes into everything that we produce, you can tip us, support us on a monthly basis, patreon.com slash Rince, even a dollar a month gets you access to early cane and rinse podcast extended cane and rinse podcasts an exclusive monthly cane and rinse podcast 
and a few other bits and bobs as well. Before we hear about your final pick, Thomas, uh, anything you've got to plug? You just want to plug your social media, your forthcoming cane and rinse appearances, or hey, even something commercial from Laced Records. I don't mind. Uh, so probably people shouldn't follow me on Twitter at T Quillfelt, try spelling Quillfelt, <laughs> because I'm just going to be posting about a thousand screenshots of Assassin's Creed Odyssey uh, photo mode shots that I just took over the last two months. Um, They're very nice. People might like that. Well, it's a very beautiful game. I can't claim much credit uh, for just pressing a button on stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I turned up on the Final Fantasy VII show, which I begged to be on and uh, nearly missed because of bad internet and newborn babies. But I drove through the rain uh, with no sleep um, to, to be on it. And uh, I enjoyed it, but I really hope um, that uh, my ramblings came off or got edited. People into... like the new guy. <laughs> People like they the new guy. Me. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I was I wasn't exactly the voice of objective reason on that show because it's uh, no. it's that's my game. That's the that's the one. Um, and yeah, laced stuff. Well, we just announced some Warhammer uh, vinyl, which is uh, another one of those interesting ones. It's not my Warhammer 40K is not my world at all. But it was fun no, right. uh, revisiting uh, a few scores, one from uh, Dawn of War 2, which I think is 2009 and Space Marine, which is 2011 some really fantastic kind of epic you know warhammer big heavy big heavy music um and um laced records actually loads happened behind the scenes last year including two babies but also big things for the label organizationally and new staff and stuff like that so um 2019 has some mm. huge huge uh, some bloody big news coming up um i'll just i'll just drop that hint um and hopefully it's you know it's going to be a massive year for the label um whereas 2018 even with doom was was relatively quiet um hmm. so hopefully i can i can get people excited for stuff that's coming yeah so just check out um at laced underscore records on twitter uh or just search for laced records there isn't another one you'll find us um for for news of all that stuff yeah, and also the Laced with Wax blog because uh, now and again Thomas taps us up for contributions from the Cane and Rinse team. So if you like the Cane and Rinse stuff, you can find us and some other luminaries from the uh, from the wider gaming world occasionally on listicles and things like that. Yeah, so so Laced with Wax is the is the name it used to be LacedWithWax.com. It is no longer. It is part of oh. the uh, the label's <laughs> store page because we had to migrate it so if you go to lacedrecords.com there's a blog tab and that'll oh, take you I'm to the sorry. blog i hadn't clocked that no 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 that's right uh, and then you you'll find different blogs from us you know probably be best on on twitter all about um features and interviews about video game music but most often daft um daft listicles about stuff yes. like snowy music for the christmas time or um my my most fun one, I think, so far was around Halloween. I put out uh, a listicle about completely unlistenable soundtrack cues. I tried to find <laughs> that the worst, you know, Silent Hill scraping, 
noise um that i possibly like like just absolutely like fry your brain um i gotta seek that one out did you have the notorious infamous not deaf composer resident yeah. evil director's uh, cut basement uh, yes, no i think i put that on last oh. year's halloween as a kind oh, of okay, joke joke end one i think i might have <laughs> put that back in there but um there's probably a resident legendary oh i think there's a resident evil revelations track um and there's no point describing what it's like because as i said it's it's almost unlistenable just complete noise screaming maybe scraping. we should do this uh, do that <laughs> listicle as a sound of play podcast one week it, it well the problem is the gag works as a as an article because you don't have to listen to it um uh, there's yeah none of them are tasteful even jessica even the um jessica curry who's sort of known for her pastoral yeah lovely chilled out stuff um because the chinese room actually did a an amnesia sequel not i don't it's not the most well known of their games uh, uh amnesia a machine for pigs and she got to try her hand at all of that kind of dark ambient stuff i think there's a track called bilge pump which kind of sounds mm. like <laughs> sounds like the title so that was loads of fun i think people should go and check that out um because it's it's horrendous so we have one more piece to close the show a mainly gentle piece so this is actually an original composition but it's in the name of or under the bracket of music inspired by final fantasy i suppose so uh people should know materia collective i think you've probably Uh played more than a few tracks they're this they're the a guy called sebastian wolf who uh, runs this label and it started I believe it started around um, rearrangement albums. So they'd they do say, for instance, Final Fantasy Seven, get a whole load of different uh, internet creators, people, YouTubers, people from around the video game music community to to re-record tracks. And it's really grown from there. And they've been putting out vinyl. They've been putting out actual soundtracks. I believe they did uh, Moss, um, certain releases around that, and uh, the because they haven't been so many piano collections albums which are these you know in the case of jrpgs final fantasy dragon quest these officially licensed um piano arrangement albums uh materia did a recent one uh i think they did a pokemon pokemon one i think they did a chrono trigger one and um they the guy who runs the label really loves the guitar as well and he was like well why isn't there a guitar collections album for uh, final fantasy so as with the piano collections they decided uh, that they would start he found his player and his arranger uh, a guy called william carlos reyes um and um they started at final fantasy 4 because i think that's where the the piano collections one starts i think that's the first kind of classic uematsu score um obviously it was on the snares so it's a bit more listenable than the nez um nez stuff the final track i believe it might be actually be two tracks but the final track is called the crystals and is a uh, an original composition by william um that he kind of wrote after he'd done the arrangements based on uematsu music so it was kind mm-hmm. of in the spirit of um yeah. the, the the rest of the uh, the tracks he was doing and it's a really sleepy gentle relaxing thing that i really loved and i was listening to it the first time i was like hang on a minute that's not that's not in final fantasy 4 where's this come from and um and i reached out and, and yeah just let the label know that i thought it was fantastic so um big shout out i i know that they were worried that they 
might not get to do any more of these. They might not get to do Final Fantasy V mm. or, or, or more just because um, of the response. So I'm trying to plug it and uh, make sure people go and check it out. So it's Materia Collective Final Fantasy IV uh, Guitar Collections. And uh, yeah, you really should go and give it a listen. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Thomas. First appearance for 150 Sound of Plays, I think, <laughs> apart from the extras. Um, you can come on again sometime. we we'll just have to work our way through the entire team. Uh, but yes, so we'll leave you with The Crystals by William Carlos Reyes. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. Thank you.